Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. Today, we'll be sharing part two of our conversation with Rachel Lazar, the president and CEO of Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. Last week, we offered you the first part of the conversation, and uh, I cut it off to make you want to come back. So if you haven't heard that first part, go listen to that and be annoyed with the cliffhanger, and then find yourself blessed and jump over here for part two. We're glad you're here. This is Kingdom Ethics. Let's get back into it. You said one thing, interesting, many things that are interesting in the book. One of the things that you said was like one of the failures of democracy is that it allows um, like anti-democratic politicians to get elected. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting, like Hitler or yeah, like Yeah, they Trump. can run like anybody else with, right. with the desire to destroy with the system that elected them. Right. right. Yeah. And I don't know whether, I mean, that, that, that's a, that was an interesting critique because obviously like in practice, I don't know how you would root out those candidates I mean, democracy relies on freedom of the press to be able to kind of expose who these people mm. are. And if it's functioning properly, you would think that would take care of it, you know, but here it almost, it almost didn't. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people believe that this is the last gasp of, again, if, you know, we return to the demographics right. of what we're seeing today, you know, a third of Americans are, you know, non-religious, you know, many more in millennials and younger, right. um, you know, the decline of Christians, the decline of white Christians. A lot of people would say this is that sort of old guard raging against the dying of their privilege, but that they don't have the numbers in the long run. What do you think of that? They do have the numbers in some places. I think we have to understand how big this country is and how different and diverse it is and and how it looks in different places. I think like if you live in the small town South, as I have done 11 years in Jackson, Tennessee, which is as ruby red as it gets. Um, Jeremy has a lot of experience in the small town South. In the small town South, in a sense, that world never went away. And the Supreme Court decisions like, you know, kind of banning the principal starting the school day with prayer and stuff, I'm I'm quite confident that in some places those decisions were never enforced. I mean, that they were violated on a regular basis. Um, and just the cultural amalgam of, of uh, the First Baptist Church and the First Methodist Church and the mayor's office all in the town square, all in there together, and we're just, it's a white-dominated town, it's a Christian-dominated town, it's a conservative values-dominated town, and if there are black people there, they're on the other side of the tracks and by design. Um, and so I think, I think it's the mobilizing of the incomprehension on the part of a lot of folks from rural and small town, especially Southern and Midwest America, that, that the national system doesn't work that way and isn't supposed to work that way, and that the country is much more diverse than that. And also being exposed, like their kids go off to college and they read textbooks with a different perspective or they watch TV shows that have a different perspective. Um, so yes, it is a fading demographic nationally, but regionally and in certain geographic types of locations, it's not. 
And I think that's part of the like the powder keg environment that we find ourselves in right now. Yeah, and I, I do. I agree. I mean, we get hundreds of letters of reports of violations of church-state separation every year from all around the country. And I mean, we get them from California and New Jersey and, you know, places, many places in Texas or in the South and the Midwest. So they come from all across the country, actually. Is schools. it mainly small town and rural or is it no? no? <clears throat> not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Um, and, you know, because there's bigger towns in the South where this is happening, as you say, and, you know, where we've, yeah. we sued the Bossier Parish school system in Louisiana and won from Americans United for all these basic fundamental violations in their public schools of church state separation, forcing kids to write Bible verses, handing out Bibles, singing the songs. I mean, the whole work. Was that the principals doing or was it a school board thing in that, in that particular case? I mean, it was, it was coming from the public school system, you know, yeah. and, um, and and it was sort of like a coordinated effort. It was coming from teachers. It was coming from parents. It it was coming from from all over. And we actually got this wonderful um, agreement from the court where we set up like a monitoring board, much like the voting rights monitoring mm -hmm. boards. It was sort of modeled on that to make sure that the public schools there were going to abide by the court's order and not force Christianity into the public schools. I I, I think. Um, you know, this is a lot about the money. This is a lot about the money. Like, I think one of the untold stories about uh, authoritarian reactionary Christianity is how much they're coming for our public schools and they yeah. want to get money from the government that is going towards public schools and to get it for private Christian schools across the country. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's been this fight over private school vouchers for a long time now in this country and the courts have gone in a bad direction where they you know even as recently as the term before last they said you know a state even if a state has declared that it it's against its own constitution to force taxpayers to fund religious education and discrimination that the state has to has to fund religious education if it's funding through vouchers private education now we're living in a time where there's actually in addition to diverting public funds to private schools an out and out effort to just take over and seize public schools which get direct taxpayer funding and turn them into Christian schools. And that's what we're seeing mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And we brought a lawsuit in Oklahoma challenging, you know, the mm. St. Isidore's first religious public charter school in the country. Um, and that's a big deal. I mean, I think that that should give, that should make every American shudder, right? A school that has says on its website that all parents are welcome, but that it's going to teach Christian theology, and unless you agree with the ideology, you're not welcome in the school. Come on, you know. And that's a public a public school. Yeah, or that talks about you know the the kind of morality around sexuality that it's going to teach, and mm. that it takes from the Catholic Church. I mean, it describes itself virtually as a Catholic school, and it's by law in Oklahoma because it's a charter school, a public school. That's outrageous. You know, we brought a lawsuit on behalf of Christian pastors and mm. parents, including Catholic parents, by the way, that mm. say this is an in this is an inappropriate, un-American, unlawful, and unconstitutional, according to our state constitution, thing to do. This is a violation of church-state separation. So, yeah, we are seeing 
sort of efforts from this group that you're writing about to take government funding for itself as well. And that's again where we're just, it's ultimately a lot about power. Yeah. I've been thinking about a way to refine what I think Christian nationalism or white Christian nationalism is in relation to my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try this out. Um, let's say author let's say reactionary is the adjective to describe a kind of a despairing, angry resistance to cultural change. And that really needs to be named because that is a major driver. Okay. I don't think one, I think you can't mobilize millions of people without the reactionary thing. And you got to whip up that reaction all the time by making people scared and angry about cultural changes. Okay. They're coming for your children. We must react. Mm -hmm. Authoritarianism uh, by that, I mean a certain kind of attitude towards power, which is about the centralization of power, especially in the hands of our group, which has always been in charge and should still be in charge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and I talk in the book about how it's very easy for Christianity to produce authoritarianism because there's a lot of that in our bloodstream. It's in our heritage. You can easily justify it from the Bible. Okay. I think that what the reactionaries are reacting against and what the authoritarians are working for is a certain kind of Christian nation, mm -hmm. a, a certain kind of white dominated Christian nation. In other words, the white Christian nationism, I like that language better. I think it's not mm -hmm. because it's about, we want a certain kind of white Christian nation. Um, the goal is, a flat-out government explicitly endorsing what is essentially a white Christian nation. And so that would mean the barriers that have been set up over 240 years constitutionally, separation of church and state, disestablishment of religion, are swept away mm -hmm. because we don't want them. Maybe we never wanted them, but we, were, we had to put up with it, but forget it. We're in a war now. We're just going to win. So we want a certain kind of white, conservative, traditionalist Christian nation. We believe that's what God wants. We believe that's what our country was, which of course it wasn't, but that's the story. And in every sector, we're going to aim to win that, whether that's in media, we're losing that fight. But Seven we'll mountains. Seven mountains, it's all that. Um, but if we can get the right kinds of people put in office, the, the governor of Florida, who is the guy in Oklahoma? Is that the Secretary of Education who's leading that? Ryan Walters. Uh huh. If you get the certain, the right kind of person in Congress or in the State House or in the various bureaucratic positions, then they can push that, and we'll push that until they're stopped. And so it seems to me, part of what I argue in the book um, is that is that the. The separation of church and state heritage, we now have to make a case for that again as if we'd never had it before. Mm -hmm. Truly. Yeah, as if it's a new idea. And and so I try to um, pivot in the book to, to retrieving the uh, three strands of tradition that are explicitly Christian that I describe as covenantal, democratic, and then the black um, resistance tradition in the U.S. And at their best, these traditions have always stood for the kind of democracy that the other side is trying to take away. Mm -hmm. 
It's disestablished religion. There is no state religion. Mm-hmm. Baptists were among those who were most insistent that there should be no state religion because they knew what it felt like to be persecuted for being the wrong version of the state religion, right? The covenantal tradition which says, we are all members of this covenant community. Nobody is a second-class citizen. Everybody is included. And the black tradition from the 17th century was a tradition which said, hey, you screwed up the birth of your democracy because you built racism and white supremacism into it and you accepted slavery. Um, If we're going to have a true democracy, that needs to be named and resisted in its current manifestations. How did that land with you? Those three strands, did those strike you as as constructive for moving ahead? So two answers to that one. I mean, on the one hand, definitely, and I was so happy as we were talking about earlier to see this chapter on the Baptist tradition around separation of church and state and just the way you kept coming back to and even in your charts listing separation of church and state as a basic tenet of democracy. It has to be there. Right. Um, and, and I do think you know that that is an obvious thing that needs stating these days because we have so many politicians who are flat out rejecting it, right. you know, which is really dangerous. Something, the, the reason I said sort of two answers is, and I haven't fully worked this out, so I'll, I'll just sort of say it to you. It's interesting, on the one hand, and even more so as a non-Christian, I so appreciate seeing Christians make an argument for democratic principles from a Christian perspective. Because, you know, people, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in the Rawlsian veil of ignorance. I mean, people people have all these parts of themselves and their identities. And if you want to speak to someone you speak to the whole person. And as we've just talked about, a lot of Americans are Christian. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> On the other hand, and this is just something that that I also think about, if you're if you're trying to win on the democracy argument through a Christian argument, mm-hmm. are you somehow risking people sort of on some level believing that America is a Christian nation. And so then when they hear these politicians sort of, you know, make that argument, they sort of believe in it or they believe like, okay, so some Christianity in schools, in public schools is okay because it's it's also American or mm. versus sort of just plain old making, you know, the argument for democracy and this is the glue here and no matter who we are and it protects, that's sort of like the Baptist argument. It protects us because, and I'll go back to the Rawlsian veil of ignorance, even though I just refuted it, (laughs) none of us know what we're going to pop up and be. And so, you know, and here in America, that's okay. Or none of us know what our kids are going to pop up and be or loved Mm -hmm. ones or family members. And so we better espouse a philosophy that as you know, you quote Churchill, like, fine, even call it the best of the worst or whatever, but it's the best that we know of um, right. for protecting equality. What are your thoughts about that concern? Um, it reminds me of when we were working on the torture issue together mm-hmm. in 2007, 2008. Um, the question, should America be torturing people after uh, 9-11? All kinds of people said no. The reasons they said no differed because they came out of different traditions of thought. So you had the human rights lawyers who said no based on human rights conventions, and you had um, the JAGs, you know, the military judges who said no based on the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice, you know, 
And you had the Constitution Project, which said no based on constitutional principles, right? Um, you had the uh, Rabbis for Human Rights who said no based on uh, s- specifically the Jewish human rights tradition and uh, scriptural resources. And Muslims for Human Rights, same thing, the, from the Muslim tradition. And Christians, we called it Evangelicals for Human Rights. Um, and we had our own argument. And then you had the National Religious Campaign Against Torture, which created an umbrella. Um, I think my my vision of the public square is everybody brings what they have in their toolbox. Mm-hmm. And and I, we, we, we take what we have out of our toolbox and you take what you have out of your toolbox. And if, if it leads constructively in the same direction, we just kind of compare notes from what's in our toolbox. But we don't have to strip out the religious dimension of that, uh, if it if it is genuinely who we are, you know, and so that mm-hmm. I loved that work against torture back in the day because everybody did that. Mm-hmm. We agreed the United States should not be torturing people. We disagreed on how to make that case, mm-hmm. but the disagreements were not nearly as important as the agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think this is a, an iteration of the old question. Um, you don't want Christianity. To, to be the exclusive possession of the conservative traditionalist side. It can't be. Because then everybody else can be painted as secular. And even now in this country, you can't you can't win too many elections or too many arguments if only people you have with you are the seculars, the nuns. Um, I'm making explicitly Christian arguments for a certain kind of uh, public life in the U.S. Um, that is democratic, egalitarian, with human rights protections for all, equal participation of all, separationist, mm-hmm. um, not hostile to religion, but hostile to the establishment of religion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's actually where we started mm-hmm. in 1789. I mean, mm-hmm. I, in other words, the, the new voices are the revolutionary voices. Uh, separation of church and state, bah humbug, that's, that is radical. Right, uh, I, I agree. You know, to say, um, the reason, I mean, John Leland in Virginia said mm-hmm. to Thomas Jefferson, we will not support the ratification of this constitution without protection of, this, of uh, religious liberty, without disestablishment. And they had suffered under an Anglican establishment. They knew what that was like. Um, the Baptists in uh, New England um, knew what it was like to suffer under the Puritan establishment. And so Roger Williams and them said, no, forget it. Rhode Island, thank you. We want, we want freedom. Yes. Freedom of conscience. Um, what I really think, big picture, what some of these authoritarian, reactionary, Christian, nationalist types are doing is they want to do away with all of that. They think that Americans are not capable of handling freedom anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, too decadent, too secular, too liberal. Let's put a good Christian strong man like Victor Orban or Donald Trump or Jared Bolsonaro in charge and uh, write the Constitution in such a way that this position will be established. And by the way, I, I wonder what you think about my comparisons to other countries. Did that illuminate kind of where we are right now? Yes, it's also profoundly depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it did. I mean, I think it. there's an echo of this, not just currently around the world, but in our history as well around the world. So absolutely, I thought that that added to the argument. Jeff Charlotte um, helped produce um, a docu series um, as well about the the family, mm-hmm. the sort of you know this uh, 
Christian group that's influenced our government in many ways. And one of the chapters of the docuseries also talks about like the the roots and how they've expanded out into the the world, you mm-hmm. know, from that organization. And you know, I mean, it 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 it's scary. Um, and I think that they've gained a lot of ground. And it is oftentimes, as you're saying in your book, in reaction to progress in in modern times and in these societies. At least that, what we would believe to be progress. What we would believe to be progress. Right. Where women are not under the thumb of men. Right. And um, where people have choices as to who they marry. Right. Uh, and what their sexual activity will be. And where... Jews have equality of citizenship, mm-hmm. the oldest prejudice, right? Yeah. In Christian civilization. And, um, and where, uh, where people who are not born in a country are, are included in that country uh, on equal status and with equal terms, um, et cetera. In other words, things, now not everything that has happened since 1962, I think, is un- unmitigated good. But in general, those of us who believe that that the country is better because of these changes, that that most of these social changes represent progress, even if that means a diminishment of Christian power, all of us are allies here. I wonder if you need to add like a B to the arc. So yours is bark. Because like I'm so used to arc, like the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is a backward arc. That's what, that's what it is. Which is like a bark. A bark. Because it's like aggressive. (laughs) It's a growl. (laughs) And you brought up, you know, the violence. And I just wanted to say, I mean, you know, PRI's study shows that um, those who um, are Christian nationalist adherents are seven times more likely to believe that violence may be necessary to put this country on track than yeah. Christian nationalist rejectors. So yes, it's it's like a violent bark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we should probably stop here. Um, but I think we cannot afford, those of us who see this, and as the 2024 election cycle comes, um, upon us, sadly, one more time. It would be nice to have a few more years to to push back, but I I think this will again be an election that may well determine whether whether liberal democracy survives in the U.S. or whether some kind of authoritarian Christian strongman project is what prevails. Um, that, by the way, I think that also explains a lot about support for Trump. It wasn't about he was a good man or a nice man. It was that it was that he promised this reactionary counter-revolution. Cyrus. Yeah, he promised the reactionary counter-revolution, and it looks like he'd be willing to deliver that, even at the cost of democracy. Well, I just I want to say before the podcast is over that I am such a huge fan of your work and your scholarship, and I appreciate I think you're one of the just best people I know. And the work that you're doing to fight back it's courageous it's um so well argued and i think playing such an important role in this moment and in our history and i'm really appreciative of you thank you rachel and um i'm so glad that you're in the chair that you're in at americans united and i i never really could have imagined that um whether or not we actually would have separation of church and state essentially is actually on the ballot in 2024 as well. So you're not just fighting skirmishes on the fringes. We're talking about the nature of our country. And um, so all of us who see that 
have different parts to play, but I'm glad to be an ally and a partner with you in, in this work. So thanks for spending this time with us today. Thank you, David, and thanks, everyone. Wow. What a great way to close out this season where we've been talking about ARC, Authoritarian Reactionary Christianity. If you would like to continue to be a part of the conversation, you can find David online at davidpgushy.com or any of his socials. The book is now available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. If you go to anywhere books are sold and they don't have it, let them have a piece of your mind and have them order it for you. It's good to support your local bookstores. As always, you can find me on socials. I usually use my name and my personal website is revjeremyhall.com. And that'll link you to all of my writings and podcasts and music and pod projects and whatever else I'm up to right now. Thank you for listening. It's been a really rewarding season and we will be back with you soon. There's more content in the hopper that we are really looking forward to sharing. There are also a few more books that are about to come out and David and I are starting work on a new project that uh, hopefully we'll be able to tell you about soon. Grace and peace. Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom Ethics.